Well, I want to welcome you to Venture Church. I want to welcome those that are watching online from all of our campuses, maybe those that are uh, watching on YouTube or Facebook, and also want to welcome all of you that are here. You know it's a new world when I'm sitting next to Di in the front row and I lean over to her and I say, wow, the third service is packed today. It's a new day around here. Uh, we are continuing a series that Tony did an excellent job beginning for us last week. And we're answering the question, how do you get along with people you disagree? We are in the most unique time of my entire life. Likely yours also. Part of what has made this so uh, challenging is we're stuck at home. And when people are stuck at home, after a while, they go stir crazy. They say things and they do things that they otherwise wouldn't do. Uh, when I think about how bizarre this is, Di and I were gearing up for our family vacation and we figured this might be the last family vacation where it's just the five of us. We don't know. And so I had been saving for a couple years to take our kids uh, to Israel, because you know that Israel has been a major part of our life and our ministry, and I wanted to experience that with our kids, but Israel doesn't want us there. They have locked it down. They don't want anyone from the U.S. there. So then we thought, well, let's pivot and go to Hawaii. Hawaii doesn't want any of us from Seattle there either. In fact, if you go to Hawaii, you have to be quarantined for 14 days in your hotel to begin with. So we did what any other family would do. We pivoted to Utah. <laughs> so our family vacation is in the great state of Utah. I got to be honest, I know it's going to be fun, but when I made the list of the 20 things I wanted to do, Utah was firmly planted in number 19. But we're going to Utah. Uh, I want to let you know that we are going to do some videos and things along the way. We tried this when Di and I attempted to go on a road trip before, but then the whole world turned upside down and it didn't seem appropriate. I'm hoping we can get another chance to do it this time. But you know, as you're cooped up at home, you're spending way more time than any human being should on social media. And one of the things that I've tried to encourage people with, in fact, I've been saying this for the last 10 years, that Facebook and Twitter are not good places to have serious discussions. That they are not good places to get into debates with people. I always use it this way. Um, if there is a crazy person standing on the street corner just screaming, how do you respond to that person? You walk by and think, dude's crazy, and just keep going. But for whatever reason, Facebook has become a platform for crazy people to suck you into their psychosis. Because here's what happens. Somebody will do some crazy rant on Facebook, and you read it, and you think, well, I'm going to create a very intelligent response to what they're saying, you craft this perfect statement, you hit respond, and what happens? The crazy person actually has 30 crazy friends who want to then pounce on you 
How do I know that this happens on a regular basis? Because you text me about it. It usually goes something like this. Pastor Brandon um, got into a fight with so-and-so on Facebook. Um, I'm really mad at them. They're really mad at me. I don't know what to do. I think I'm going to have to leave the church. Happens over and over and over again. So I want to help you by answering, how do you get along with people you don't like? How do you get along with people you disagree? How do you get along with people that have shown prejudice towards you? How do you get along? One of the other things that I hear from people all the time, especially over the last couple months, is people love to quote Jesus. In fact, they say it this way. You know, if Jesus was here, this is what he'd do. If Jesus was here, here's what he'd say. I hear this over and over and over again, but people actually never really quote anything that Jesus said. They never really give you an example of something that Jesus has done. They just throw that statement out because it is the ultimate argument ender. This is what Jesus would do. So we are actually going to take some time during this series and actually look at what Jesus would say. We're actually going to look at how did Jesus respond to those that disagreed with him. How did Jesus respond to those that didn't like him? How did Jesus respond to people that showed prejudice against him? Let's look at the actual words and actual actions of Jesus to learn how should you and I, as followers of Jesus, respond to people that we disagree. Sound good? Do you still like me? Okay, I just want to make it clear for those of you that are watching online that I love you. I've already decided in my heart I like you. So I'm just going to naturally assume you like me back. So I'm saying everything that I'm saying today out of love for all of you. On that note, bow your heads, close your eyes. Everyone, repeat this prayer after me. Everyone say, Dear Jesus, speak to my heart. Change my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to answer the question, how do you get along with those you disagree, by looking at the most popular of all of Jesus' parables. The most famous of all of his parables. The one that is the most misquoted of all of his parables. And it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. And in just a moment, I'm going to share with you the context of this parable, which begins in, Luke, in verse 25. But here's the thing about a parable. Jesus taught in parables. What is a parable? It's a story. It's basically a story that could be true, but isn't necessarily in that moment. And the thing about a parable is it's meant to have a primary meaning. The problem that people have done throughout the years when interpreting parables is they have underlined meanings in a parable that it was never really meant to have. Now you can do that to some degree, but you cannot miss the primary meaning of a parable. And the parable of the Good Samaritan has a very clear primary meaning. But to understand a parable, the first thing you need to do is get the context with it. So I'm going to paint for you a picture of the setting. 
Jesus was teaching. So when he would teach, he was either in a home or in a courtyard. We don't know exactly where he was at this moment. But you would get the impression that the rabbi would stand and that people would form almost a U around him. And they would sit and they would interact and they would ask questions when he would teach. And so that is the setting with which Jesus was sharing the parable of the Good Samaritan. Here's what happens next, verse 25. It says, And behold, a lawyer... Um, other translations will say a certain lawyer. It will, it will say an expert in the law. What we know about scribes and lawyers in the first century is uh, they were experts in the law of Moses. They would debate the law of Moses. Their primary job was to help educate people in the law of Moses. So this person was an expert on what Jesus was teaching about. So it says this, that a lawyer stood up. I explained to you the context. So if the, the rabbi is standing and everyone else is sitting, and all of a sudden this lawyer stands up, why is he doing that? He is doing that to draw attention away from Jesus and onto himself. In that moment, he is affirming that he is also an authority. So he stands up and it says, he went to put Jesus to the test. Okay, I'm at, let me keep reading. Put Jesus to the test. And he, and he said, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? A couple things. Have you ever been asked a question that seemed innocent, but the person asking this had an ulterior motive? Ever? I call it a loaded question. It's a question that seems innocent, but they are waiting to go at you. By the way, social media is full of these. People ask on the surface what appears to be an innocent question. They make what appear to be an innocent statement, and they are waiting for you to reply so they can go off. The problem is it's hard to know the motive behind uh, someone's question. Well, we're told this lawyer's motive. We're told his motive is to test Jesus. So he was definitely asking a loaded question. Other translations, in fact, the original Greek would actually translate it more appropriately, went out to tempt Jesus. You see this Authority in the law was trying to trip Jesus up. Was trying to get Jesus to contradict himself publicly as it pertained to the law of Moses. Trying to get to show him up. And so he asks what in the first century is the most innocent of questions. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Um, for you, there's a, I, I would modernize this and say it this way. As a follower of Jesus, there's a question that you get asked all the time. Several of them. Maybe they go something like this. Um, if God is good, why is there racism? If God is good, why is there all this hatred? If God is good, why do bad things happen to good people? Odds are you've been asked that question 
probably in the last month by someone. It's a normal question to get asked if you're a follower of Jesus. In the first century, that normal question would be, hey, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? So he asked a simple question, but it was a loaded question. And here's how Jesus responds. Verse 26. Jesus said to him, well, you're an expert in the law. What does the law say? And then the man responds by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. I love what Jesus does next. He doesn't engage in an argument with this person. Instead, Jesus just simply says, you have answered correctly. Now, do this and you will live. Well, when you ask a loaded question and all of a sudden it's obvious the other person caught you and didn't fall into the bait of it, you immediately try to justify yourself. So the Bible says, trying to justify himself and the desire to justify himself. When someone asks you a loaded question and they get caught, they will try to justify themselves. This lawyer wanted to justify the fact that he'd even asked the question or he wanted to justify that he had kept the law of Moses. Um, so then he follows it up with what I call a first century mic drop statement. So when Jesus says, you go and do likewise, he responds with the mic drop. You know what mic drop statements are? Happens all the time now. Usually when you engage in a conversation with someone and they're, they, they can't win, they drop something like this. That's not very Christian of you. That's not what Jesus would do. The other day I was bantering with a local sports radio guy on Twitter. And we were arguing about the Mariners. If you know me, I've grown up a Mariners fan. I've always been a Mariner fan. But I am not a fan of their current general manager. So I was sharing my opinion on something that he had said. We bantered back and forth. And then finally he drops the, that's not very pastorly of you. So I realized the name of my Twitter handle is Fight Pastor. So he dropped that line. It's like a mic drop moment. So what this guy does is a first century mic drop moment. He says, well then Jesus, who is my neighbor? You see, the lawyer was probably wrestling with this. Because when he was considering his duties, first off to God, he probably thought this. As far as God is concerned, in his poor, distorted mind, his conscience was at ease. He began to think this. He thought, my tithe has been paid down to the last cent. My fasts have been rigidly observed. My feasts have been carefully kept. My prayer formulas have never been neglected. As for God, the lawyer's conscience was at ease. But what about his neighbor? I wonder if in that moment he wondered, is Jesus 
my neighbor and began to reflect on how he had treated Jesus, trying to trip him up, hoping to hurt his reputation, even though Jesus had done nothing wrong to him. Was Jesus his neighbor? So he asks the question, Jesus, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus responds with this famous parable. Let's read it. Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him, beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, what did I tell you about the context? Jesus was teaching. He had a group of people that had gathered around him, and immediately says, a man was walking on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Here's what his audience would have done. Yeah, I've been on that road before. In fact, I took that road to get here. They all knew this road. Every service we've had, there's been someone that's been in the service that, is, that have joined Di and I on one of our Israel trips. Whenever we go to Israel, we will travel from Galilee to Jerusalem, and our guide will always point out the Samaritan road. And he'll, he'll say, this is the journey that Jesus talked about when he taught the parable of the Good Samaritan. Everyone knew this journey. They also knew that it was rocky and mountainous, and they knew that it was infamous for being a place where there were thieves and robbers. So when Jesus says this man came from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he got robbed and beaten and left for dead, here's what they would have thought. They would have thought, wow, that happened to my friend Bob last week. Yeah, I read about that on Facebook today that just happened to someone. So they totally related to this story. And he goes on and he describes three different responses that had happened to this man. And you're supposed to say, which one of these is most like the way that I would respond? So whether you're listening here in person or you're watching online, you're going to see three different men who come across this man at three different times, and I am here to help you understand how do you respond to people you don't like? How should you respond to those who've shown a prejudice against you? How do you get along with people you don't agree which one of these guys would most likely be you? So the man is left dead on the side of the road. And then the Bible says, by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So here's the way I like to think of the priest. So back then, there were about 12,000 priests that resided in that region. Most of them lived in Jericho, but they worked in Jerusalem. So they would travel this road from Jericho to Jerusalem often. What was the job of a priest? A priest would burn incense for the people. A priest would offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. The priest would do services in the morning and in the evening for the people. So the priest walking down this road from Jericho to Jerusalem was normal. I like to think of it this way. 
he was off work for the day and he was heading home. He was on his phone, kind of texting his wife, wasn't really paying attention. And all of a sudden he stumbles upon this guy beaten and bruised. In the Brandon translation, he tripped into this guy. Have you, um, have you ever been not paying attention and tripped? What is the first thing you do? You, you, you look around to see if anybody noticed. Because if no one noticed, it didn't happen. Uh, Di and I were at a wedding yesterday. In fact, she was performing the wedding ceremony and I was like carrying her stuff for her. I was her plus one at the wedding. And I was talking to the parents of the bride before the ceremony. And uh, I was messing around with my mask and my sunglasses. My sunglasses fell off my face and I didn't want them to slam against the cement. So I started juggling my glasses. And I mean, it was impressive. And this went on probably like eight different juggles. And I finally caught my glasses right before they hit the ground. And then I looked around to see if anybody would notice. And unfortunately, the father of the bride noticed. And he says to me this, he goes, that was impressive. Uh, just on the way to church in the, neck, in the last service, uh, a husband tripped going into the service. Immediately looks around, and the only person that saw it was his wife, who was keeling over laughing. Because again, if nobody saw it, didn't happen. So that's what happened to the priest this day. He's not paying attention. He stumbles, trips into this guy, looks around. Nobody saw it, didn't happen. Walks by on the other side. As the story goes, next... Likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. So who was a Levite? A Levite was like a first century version of an assistant pastor. So the Levites would serve the priest in serving the people. So just like there were many priests in that day that would live in Jericho and work in Jerusalem, there were many Levites that would live in Jericho and work in Jerusalem. So they would travel this path often. The difference in the story, especially if you look at other translations and you read the original language, the story is more like the Levite saw the man from a ways away. It's like he walked up, oh, there's a dude there. And as he got closer, he's looking at him. Man, that guy is messed up. Oh, and he probably is thinking this. I should probably help him. I mean, the Christ-like thing to do would be to help him. Oh, man, that guy. Oh, 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 he's bad. And then he began to think this. I, I, I should help this guy, but... This is going to ruin my whole day. Man, the wife needs me to pick up some stuff before I get home. I need to see my kids. I haven't seen them for a couple days. I mean, this guy, this guy, I'm going to take him to the hotel. I'm going to probably have to wait to make sure that everybody cares for him. And then he looks back and he sees there's a bunch of other people coming. And he just thinks, I'll let them deal with it so I don't have to. And he walks by. Did you know that we do this all the time? I mean, you, li you live in western Washington. At least once a week, someone's car breaks down on the side of the road. You go through this every single time. As you come upon that car, here's what you think. 
I should stop and help that person. But by the time you get there, you're like, okay, they have their own cell phone. They can call help. Oh, somebody else got out to help. Or you think, I'm in a hurry. I can't stop. Now, I know if you're watching, listening, you're such gracious, loving people. So I'm sure you've stopped and helped sometime. But I'm going to bet many times you've just looked at it, assessed it, and thought, this is going to take too much time, and drove by. That's what the Levite did. Then we read verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. few things that I want to say about this, that if Jesus, in teaching this parable, would have started with the Samaritan, he'd have lost his entire audience because Jews hated Samaritans. They considered Samaritans as less than them. They didn't associate with Samaritans. In fact, some Pharisees would even teach that when you were trying to live out the loving your neighbor as yourself, that a neighbor is only another Jewish person. So your only obligation is to help another Jew. It would never be assumed by a Pharisee that a Jewish person should help uh, a, a Samaritan. And just like Jews hated Samaritans, Samaritans disliked Jews. So now we see the enemy, the person that this wounded man, if things would have been reversed, would not have likely helped him. Because he didn't like him. They didn't agree with each other. They had a prejudice against each other. We read that the Samaritan had compassion. I've taught this so many times, that there is a difference between empathy and compassion. What is empathy? Empathy means you feel bad. You have concern. You hurt for that person. You're able to see their situation and feel pity. But compassion is empathy in action. Compassion is not only do I feel bad for that person, but I have to do something about it. And Jesus is now pointing out the two Jewish men the priest and the Levite that should have been a neighbor to this Jew. Instead, it was the enemy that was. And Jesus goes into detail on what that compassion looked like. He talks about the level that that man was willing to allow himself to be inconvenienced in that moment. He bandaged his wounds took him with him, checked him into a hotel, went to the front desk person and said, I want you to look out for that guy. In fact, I'm going to pay you money to make sure that you do that. He completely inconvenienced himself for someone he disagreed with and likely under normal circumstances wouldn't like. How do you and I respond 
to people we disagree? How do we respond to people we don't like? How do we respond to people that have shown a prejudice against us? Jesus, after telling this parable, looks back at the lawyer and he asks him this. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. How should you and I respond to people we don't like? How should we respond to people we disagree with? How would we, how should we respond to people that haven't been kind to us or mean to us? Jesus would say, you go and do likewise. He would say, you show mercy. You show compassion. In the middle of a time where people are not themselves. There's not. Being cooped up in their homes, worried about their finances. We're, we're heading to probably the most polarizing election in my entire lifetime. There's going to be so many opportunities to disagree. So many opportunities to engage with people that don't like you and you might not prefer them either. But how do we as followers of Jesus respond in these settings? Jesus would say, you show mercy. So the next time you're on Facebook and somebody posts a rant or they repost an article that has already been debunked, step back. One of the words of advice that I always give guys that I mentor in pastor's huddle is I say, you need to seek to understand before you're understood. Like before you share where you're coming from, try to understand where the other person is coming from. And you might not agree with what they say, but it might've been said out of hurt. It might've been said out of anxiety. It might've been said for all these other circumstances and then I would say, you should respond in mercy. And sometimes the most merciful thing you can do is not respond and get sucked in to a crazy person's psychosis. Sometimes you just swipe left. Is that what it is? Swipe left? I know, it's the first and only Tinder reference ever at church. Um, I also want to say this. I think it's important when you read that story, when you say, how would Jesus respond? What would Jesus say? Um, I think it's easy to, to, res to respond by what Jesus didn't do. What did Jesus not do in this story? He didn't argue with the guy. He didn't get emotional. Jesus didn't get angry. He just responded in kindness. And you and I should do likewise. I want everybody to bow your heads, close your eyes.
I want to pray for those of you that are live and also those of you that are watching live online. And I bet there's many that will hear this message over the months to come, and I'm praying for you also. Lord Jesus, in the middle of a time that is trying for so many, may we not say or do something in the heat of the moment that we would regret. But Lord, may we pause, step back, and think, how do I most represent Jesus in this moment? God, I pray that instead of responding in anger or frustration, that we would respond to those we disagree, don't like, that have been mean to us, that we would respond in mercy. And God, I pray for everyone that is listening to this, that in the middle of this moment where there's so much insecurity and there's so many things that are unsure, God, I pray that they would do as the worship song we sang was, that we would put our trust in you, that we would put all of our hope in you, all of our trust in you, you have never let us down. And in the time where we need to believe the words that we sing the most, may we do that. Lord, I thank you for our church. And I thank you that it's full of people that want to honor Jesus by the way they live their life. God, I ask that you would help them, strengthen them, and meet them right where they're at at this moment. In your name I pray. Amen.